Miracy. If you imagine living your life as an empath, not knowing you're an empath, well, you're going to take on everybody else's stuff and think that it's your own. You're going to struggle to have a strong sense of self because we don't know where we end and the next person begins. Hello, and welcome to Consciousness Explored, where we delve into the mysteries of the human experience and consciousness. I'm your host, Melissa Deal. In each episode, we'll be diving deep into the nature of consciousness, ways to expand our consciousness, and the impact that our understanding of consciousness has on the quality of our daily lives. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Reverend Dr. Stephanie Redfeather, a leading figure in the realm of divine femininity and impact advocacy. Stephanie is the founder of Blue Star Temple, an online sanctuary for sensitive beings on their spiritual journey. An ordained shamanic minister, she holds a bachelor's degree in applied mathematics and a master's and doctorate in shamanic studies. She's an award-winning author of the international best-selling book, The Evolutionary Empath, which helps to guide sensitive souls to break free and co-create a new earth consciousness. Get ready for an enlightening journey. I was born in Illinois, so I'm just a Midwestern girl. My family was Lutheran, and so while dad was not really the churchgoer or terribly religious, it was always mom taking me and my sister to church. And so I went through all the things you do in the Lutheran church, right? Going to Sunday school and confirmation and all of those sorts of things. My parents got divorced when I was eight years old. I know a lot of people I know can relate to that, where it's a a life-changing event when the family breaks up. And so, of course, that set up a lot of wounding patterns. So it was a little bit of some time spent with my mom, some time spent with my dad. One of the things that I really appreciated about my mom is she really understood my sort of creative instincts and urges, my desire to express. And so from fifth through eighth grade, she enrolled me in a particular school that had a creative and performing arts program. So if you remember the TV show Fame, I went to a school like that. Stephanie's younger years were filled with creative expression, but she wanted to change things up going into high school. She chose to leave her mother's house and move in with her father. Living with her dad and new stepmom turned out to be very different than her young 13-year-old mind had envisioned. Extracurricular activities such as dance were not supported. She also had a very adversarial relationship with her stepmother. Lacking sufficient outlets for her creative energy and unsure how to navigate in her new home, Stephanie began to lose pieces of herself into the void, causing her to feel incomplete and unsure of herself as she moved into adulthood. I started feeling unsafe in the world. That was not feeling understood. I felt exposed and like the things that I valued and that were important to me were not honored or recognized. And so the way I think of it is my masculine came in to the best of his ability and said, I'll save you. And basically took my feminine and put her in a box and put her away for safekeeping. I chose to get a math degree and become an Air Force officer. 
So it's kind of like, wait, what? You were dancing, singing, writing, performing, and then you got a math degree and went to the Air Force. Right. Stephanie became an Air Force officer and a financial advisor, virtually abandoning the part of her that made her feel so alive and expressive. She got married, and on paper, at least, she seemed to be living the American dream. Inside, she felt as though she was constantly trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. Though she lacked the awareness to realize it at the time, Stephanie's soul was compelling her into massive change, and her stubborn will was being dragged, kicking and screaming. My spiritual awakening was about a five-year period of time that I have described as living a hundred years in that five-year period because I lived a lot of life. I dug through a lot of depths. It was a dark night of the soul kind of period. And when I got to the other side, nothing in my life looked the same as it did when it started. I had gotten divorced. I was in a new city, new job, new car, new house, new furniture, like everything had changed. A big part of that process was really learning to surrender because I was in a very massive death and rebirth process, right? In shamanic terms, a death process. I was dying to my old self in almost every way. I was starting to explore Buddhism, meditation. I was sort of voraciously seeking and then a friend introduced me to the Conversations with God books. And those were unbelievable because, I mean, every page gave me permission to question and to let go of my old concepts of God. I call that period the spiritual crucible, right? Where you're just in this cauldron just getting cooked down and cooked down and cooked down into a completely different substance. I had a sense of that I had gone through something very significant. In 2005, Stephanie began a nine-month initiation into the priestess process, learning what it means to be a modern-day priestess. She then went through an apprenticeship and also began traditional shamanic training. I was working with one of my mentors, who's a teacher in the Pachacuti Mesa tradition lineage. We were doing a healing session, and I was standing in front of his mesa. I was on a buffalo hide. I was facing east. And then all of a sudden, I just started having this vision. And I saw very clearly in front of me a native man dancing, standing in the fire. And he had this incredible sort of head-to-toe, you know, full-length feathered headdress. But all the feathers were red. And it just hit me like a bolt of light. I'm like, oh my god, I'm being given a name. She told her mentor what had just happened, and they did a ceremony then and there to anchor her new name in the Earth Grid. Her transformation continued as she learned to reclaim the part of herself that had been lost for so long. My spiritual awakening, the huge piece of it, has been about bringing back the Divine Feminine, reconciling with her, loving and appreciating that part of myself, and very much valuing her opinion, her expression through me, right? Listening to those parts of myself. So when I make decisions, I very much pray and listen to my guidance, my intuition, my instincts, feel things in my body. And it doesn't mean I abandon logic. There's one of my favorite quotes is, the mind is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. 
I had some understanding and perspective and tools. And that is when I stood up my business in 2007, because I felt like if I could make somebody else's time in the crucible shorter, if I could help them understand what's happening, if I could give them tools, if I could help them understand it in a subtle, energetic level what was happening to them and what they were experiencing, then that is what compelled me to be in a place of spiritual service. We're back with Dr. Stephanie Redfeather. Stephanie, thank you so much for sharing your story. It resonated so deeply with me, and I just really appreciate you sharing it. I want to go ahead now and get into our discussion of consciousness. So could you tell us how you describe or define consciousness and what it means to you? So consciousness to me is an awareness, but it's an awareness that has sentience to it or agency, if you will, that consciousness exists separately from the body. And so one of the amazing opportunities we have in the earth school being in a body on earth is how do we marry consciousness with a body how do those things work together and interact together so to me consciousness is in a way um, a living field of intelligence something that is enduring that exists outside of time even outside of linear time oh thanks i like that well let's talk a little bit about your book the evolutionary empath and your work with empaths and just let me say for the listeners that for some people, the connection between empaths and consciousness may not be intuitive. But for me, it really is. For me, consciousness is the part of us that is not physical. It's the core essence of our energetic makeup. We're more energy than we are anything else. And being an empath is not a personality trait. It's an energetic state. And so, Stephanie, could you First, just explain what an empath is and perhaps for clarity, what an empath isn't. The word empath is derived from the word empathy. So there is a similarity there, you know, empathy, our ability to walk in another person's shoes, right? Our ability to understand somebody else's perspective or what they are going through. But the term empath does not just describe a feeling, right? It's not just something that's transient or fleeting, it's not just a psychological or emotional state that we can access. We all are born with an ability to access that sort of feeling. It's not something that, in a way that we can turn on and off. And I qualify that because the tools that we learn help us manage it. But in terms of being an empath, it is a quality, not just a thing that shows up every once in a while or, a, you know, something that we can turn on and off like a faucet. It's not woo-woo, nor is it like the subversive, dark, witchy sort. You know, like it's amazing people who don't really understand subtle energy, you know, look at this type of experience and all of a sudden, if you don't understand it, then it's to be feared, right? Or to be given a negative label. So when I wrote this book, My Guides, I worked very heavily with the spirit realm call in all of my guides and helpers, my spiritual team with everything that I create. And the only directives that they gave me was create a definition. And I was like, oh, sure. Okay, no pressure. So that is why in my book, I spend two chapters talking about what it is, because I would rather be more thorough than to leave people sort of questioning. 
But from all of the classes that I had taught about it and clients I'd worked with and students, I had gathered kind of a long list of data. And so I started organizing it and they organized themselves into what I've called the five distinct qualities of an empath. The first quality is the ability to merge with and absorb the energy of other beings. So people, animals, anything with life force, which stems from a very open personal energy field. So as empaths, we tend to be born sponges. For anyone who might not be familiar with energy fields, could you explain that a little further and what it might be like to be born with an open energy field? So it's very easy for us to blend and merge with other people, to take on other people's stuff, to feel like everything we're feeling is our own when it's really not our own. It's just what we've absorbed from those around us. If we are unaware that we are that open, you know, this is the quality that can cause us to take on other people's emotions and problems and just struggle with boundaries. The second quality of an empath is our highly sensitive nervous system. And so some people may be like, well, you know, nervous systems are supposed to be sensitive. Yes, this is true. But this can set us up to experience life with a lot of overwhelm and overstimulation, which really points to us needing to learn self-care and boundaries. The third quality is our great sensitivity to the energies around us and an ability to perceive or access subtle information that's stored in the energy field of all types of life forms. And so this is the quality that makes it easy for us to tune into or perceive subtle energy. So some people can see and talk to the dead. Other people are animal communicators. Some people read Akashic records. Some people have paranormal experiences that happen to them all of the time. Some people are mediums or, you know, so all of these different ways that we're accessing information that's there, right, in the field of all of us. It's just most of us don't understand that or are attuned to it to recognize that it's actually common, if you will, that we're all born with it. But most of us have it taught out of us. The fourth quality is the premium that we place on peace and harmony, and that's in relationships, in our environment, in our own energy field. And so when we don't have well-developed tools or awarenesses, we will tend to do anything and everything to keep our relationships, our environment as stress-free, calm, harmonious as possible, which often means we become doormats, we don't rock the boat, we don't stand up for ourselves, we don't like conflict, etc. The final quality is that we have big open hearts and a desire to serve others. So this often inclines us towards careers that are focused on service, but it can also cause us to overgive, put ourselves last on the list, give ourselves away, that sort of thing. And so I do want to qualify that being an empath is a scale. It's a sliding scale. It's a spectrum, right? So some people are going to, if you look at those five qualities, some people are going to go, oh yeah, you know, one, two, and five, I feel really strongly, but three and four, I'm not so sure. So am I still an empath? Yes. There's different degrees and expressions of it. And so don't feel like you have to hit certain markers to think that you qualify, if you will, to be an empath. You're going to find empaths. You're going to expect to find empaths that are massage therapists and energy healers and nurses and counselors and therapists and all of that sort of thing. But there's plenty who are IT geeks 
and engineers and truck drivers and, you know, anything that you would think as mundane or very left brain. Yeah, I mean, hello, I was in the Air Force for 10 years. You know, I went to an engineering school and got a math degree. So these first generations of empaths, there's a quote from the movie Moneyball that says the first guy through the wall always gets bloody. And so I coined the phrase empathic big bang, that those of us who have incarnated in the last hundred years or so, we are that first wave, right? We are the first ones through the wall getting bloodied. We are the ones that did not have parents or teachers or mentors who understood us or knew how to guide us or help us or give us the tools. And so we were the ones that have had to figure it out for ourselves through many hard knocks to be able to set the field and create the bow wave for the ones who are coming behind. Well, just a little aside here, Stephanie, since you are speaking of incarnations, what is your understanding of death from a consciousness perspective? Yeah, so my belief is that consciousness exists separate from the body, that consciousness is something that can live on in nonlinear time. And so death is a bodily experience where the physical vehicle dies, no longer functions, but that consciousness, memories, and all of it, like my belief is that our soul is kind of the registry, if you will, for all of our different lifetimes. And the Akashic records, similarly, are the the repository of all of the lifetimes, all of the experiences. And I don't even fully understand it because in my limited human experience, most of my life has been spent in linear 3D time. So it's hard to imagine from a soul perspective, from an Akashic record perspective, that past, present, and future all exist at the same time, <laughs> right? That you can travel back and forth in between them. But to me, death is just speaking of the physical vehicle. Yeah. Thank you for that perspective, Stephanie. I was just curious about your thoughts on that. But now I want to move into talking about how empaths can use their conscious awareness to improve their quality of life. You were saying that our open energy fields can create an emotionally chaotic environment for us. And without guidance, we can really lack boundaries. And I know that was so true for me. I not only lacked an awareness of being an empath, but I had a complete lack of understanding of what boundaries even were. It would have been quite helpful for me in my younger years to have that understanding. And you explain it so well in the book. So could you tell us how you came to understand what you call blowouts and cave-ins and what that means? In simplistic terms, you have an energy field, right? You can think of it as your bubble or your cocoon, or you could just sit in the middle of a hula hoop and kind of think of that as a stand-in for the edges of your energy field. But if you remember from biology, it's like a semi-permeable membrane, right? So there's stuff that will cross the boundary, cross the border in both directions. For most empaths, we tend to have... Our leaks, right, we're talking about energy leaks, our leaks tend to fall into either an outward leaking or an inward leaking. So let me start with the cave-ins first. Inward leaking is like if you think about a boat with a hole in it and you're slowly taking on water, right? So if you're a cave-in leaker, that means you let everybody else's stuff collapse your field, everybody else's opinions everybody else's beliefs, everybody else's expectations, what they think you should be doing, or just, you know, if you have, don't have a strong sense of self, it's easy to just defer 
to whoever's around you, the biggest personality, the strongest personality, the most intimidating personality, whatever. But we just collapse, right? Like a tire that's deflating that has an air leak or a boat that's taking on water. And so that can show up in a lot of different ways. Those leaks are basically anything where you just let people run all over you, right? You don't have the ability to say no. You don't stand up for yourself. You just let people run you over. You don't advocate for yourself. You don't understand how to recognize where you end and the next person begins. And that is one of the hardest but absolutely crucial steps for the evolution of any empath is to do that work to step outside of that and go, no, this is where I end and the next person begins. This part is me. That part is not. That takes time. And so the other direction of leaking, which is the blowout leak, means the energy is going outward. If you think of an above ground pool that has leaks, right, and the water's flowing out all over everybody that's standing around the pool. So blowout leakers are more like the ones who talk over you or interrupt you all the time. So they can be very pushy, saying what comes to mind without filters. If they think it, they say it, right? There's no application of discernment. Most empaths, when they assess their own energy leaks, tend to fall more towards one or the other. And so my belief has always been that awareness is always at least 80% of the process towards change, right? You cannot change or transform what you don't acknowledge. But as soon as you acknowledge it, that's 80% of the work because now you recognize it. And once you recognize it, then it's just a matter of practicing it and realizing that you will recognize it more frequently and then it'll be catching that behavior as soon as it's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And over time, those neural pathways get stronger and stronger, and then the awareness just becomes second nature, like breathing. I want to talk a little bit about what happens when we don't consciously work on plugging up those leaks, though. So what might be considered the shadow side of being an empath? So let me just share my kind of shorthand, easy definition of what the shadow is, because I've done a lot of shadow work. I've worked with several mentors and teachers who do shadow work processes for understanding and delving into your own and helping people meet theirs. The shadow is basically the disowned, unloved parts of yourself. And so just, you know, where we are in our human evolution of consciousness, most of our experiences right now as empaths, we're going to live from the unhealthy expression of our empathic qualities first, because in the shadow, we don't recognize them. We don't see them. And especially in our childhood and youth, if those qualities are met with disdain or ridicule or misunderstanding, and especially if you come from a very religious background, the reaction to some of those things can be very severe. Anything that gets disowned gets shoved down into the subconscious, shoved down into the shadow, where it will always continue to seek expression. But if we don't acknowledge it, then it starts coming out sideways as inappropriate behavior at inappropriate times. Part of the healing process, the evolution process for any empath is coming to terms with the fact that we're an empath and learning to reprogram, to change the inner dialogue about what those qualities mean, because almost certainly they were misunderstood ridiculed, made fun of, or worse, 
people were horrified and just had absolutely no idea. And so we just took those qualities and banished them from our consciousness. And so living from the unhealthy aspects of our empathic qualities, right? So the five qualities I talked about, if you imagine living your life as an empath, not knowing you're an empath, well, you're going to take on everybody else's stuff and think that it's your own. You're going to struggle to have a strong sense of self because we don't know where we end and the next person begins. We will have practically no boundaries. We will suck at saying no. We haven't talked about the C word yet. Codependence is pretty much an experience of every empath because when you don't have a sense of self, then we just get completely entangled with romantic relationships or with parents or with siblings or with bosses and supervisors, right? Where things are, are very unhealthy dynamic in romantic relationships, we can often defer to the other person or even take on their personality traits. Like I, you know, one of the people I interviewed in the book and shared, she would, you know, like in terms of sleeping habits, eating habits, what was watched on TV, extracurricular activities. It was like she just became what her husband did not even realizing that that happened, right? Because there was no sense of self or her own needs or wants or desires or expressions. And so all those things that I listed are very common experiences for most empaths until we get to the point where we have that awakening. Right, right. So self-awareness, boundaries, and self-care are critical components to living a healthy, balanced life. And that's not just for empaths, that's for everyone, of course. What would you say are the primary reasons that people don't pay enough attention to their own needs, that they don't engage in adequate self-care? It kind of depends on what your biggest influences are. So for some people, if they're very indoctrinated into being of service or putting everybody else first, then the primary reason can just be that feels selfish, right? Part of my identity is based on what I do for everybody else. If I do something for myself, that seems wrong. But other things can just be time. Like I can be very driven and ambitious and my to-do list and my inner taskmaster can just take over. And so I don't get to self-care with the frequency that I need to because I'm just so busy trying to accomplish. So I, I wouldn't say there's just one reason. It just kind of depends on what is influencing you the most. But there are certainly many reasons. And then there's also just the societal, cultural in the Western world. And I'll sleep when I die, you know, kind of a <laughs> kind of philosophy. <laughs> All of the games that we make, it is easier to get overwhelmed, easier to get overstimulated easier to lose track of how we really feel about something. We can't hear ourselves as clearly, so we're not making good decisions or we fall back into old patterns and habits of deferring to other people or not listening to ourselves or speaking to our own needs. And so it just sets us back. That is so true. Well said, Stephanie. Thank you. So as we wrap up our conversation today, what advice would you like to leave with the listeners concerning consciousness and the work you do? When you recognize you're an empath, when you start committing to your healing, to your inner work, there are two very important things that every empath will have to develop and work with, and that is boundaries and managing their energy field, which are very closely related. And I, the second half of my book is all about the practical tools. Do that work. It is necessary and important to understand yourself as an energetic being and to at least have a fundamental basic grasp of what that means 
so that you can become responsible for your own energy field, for your own boundaries, which then feeds your ability to stay grounded, to occupy your own throne, right? To come back to center as soon as something moves you off of center, it becomes easier to come back to center when you start doing this work. And so doing the work of understanding and establishing boundaries, doing the work of managing your energy field, just simple things such as clearing your energy field. And that can be done through many different techniques, which I also list in the book. Those are crucial tools. Building your toolbox as an empath is going to be a lifelong pursuit. The basis of why I wrote this book is because I believe that empaths are here to help humanity ascend to the next level of consciousness. And so the sensitivities that most of us show up with, our ability to connect into and perceive subtler energetic states or the energy fields of all sorts of life forms, our ability to more easily move in and out of dimensions, right? And in and out of linear time or non-ordinary time. My belief is that this is the natural state of what it is to be a human. I actually believe that we're all born with this, but it's not cultivated. And in many cultures, it just sort of atrophies because it is taught out of us. And so this evolution of consciousness is really about embracing what is innate in us to begin with. As you continue to evolve and grow, your energy practice is going to evolve and grow too. So it's not just like settings like, you know, if you remember the old equalizers on stereos, right, where you've got the treble and the bass and the, the balance. And, you know, it's not like you just set a bunch of knobs where you like it and then walk away and you don't ever have to touch them again, right? This is, you're going to be managing this. <laughs> you have to keep your attention on it. It's not something that you just set and walk away. That is absolutely accurate. Words of wisdom. Well, Stephanie, this has been amazing. I am so grateful for your time. Could you share with the listeners the name of your book and what is the best way to find you and find out more about you and your work? So my website is bluestartemple.org. And if you want to stay up on what I'm doing, what I have going on, offerings, etc., I just invite you to add yourself to my mailing list. I have a free gift. So if you go to that page, it's a 11 self-care must-haves for empaths, lightworkers, starseeds, and way showers. So that's my gift to you for signing up on my newsletter. And again, you can get my book, The Evolutionary Empath, or my oracle cards called Empath Activation Cards on my website as well. Perfect. Thank you again, Stephanie, for being with us today. All right, stick around and I will share my thoughts and takeaways from today's conversation. I've thought a lot about my conversation with Stephanie since our interview. Her book is an incredible resource for empaths and sensitives alike. I wish I'd had it 30 years ago and I highly recommend it. Throughout the conversation, I felt as though I was talking with a kindred spirit that I'd known for eternity. And that meant so much to me. Besides my husband, whom I've only known six years now, I've never met someone who has such a deep understanding and shared experience of what it is like to be an empath and not know it. Going through life constantly feeling sucker-punched and confused and unable to find resonance with other humans. For many empaths and sensitives, the consequences of our unmanaged boundaries and energy fields are often massive emotional trauma and misunderstood behaviors. 
We can spend years in therapy being labeled and medicated for everything from anxiety and depression to bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder. Without being taught how to discern our emotions from others' emotions, we literally cannot tell the difference and sometimes wonder if we're insane or fundamentally broken. We often become masters of disguise, chameleons, addicts, even paranoid hermits. We can end up in middle institutions, homeless on the street, incarcerated, suicidal, or in decades-long abusive relationships. I spent the first four decades of my life in many of these experiences, trying to claw my way up to what I considered normal, having no idea that so many of the emotions that tortured me since childhood didn't even belong to me. For those of us who are highly sensitive and or empathic, things like boundaries, self-love, and self-care can be completely foreign concepts, but they truly are our path to peace. I love the way Stephanie describes the various energetic leaks, the blowouts and the cave-ins, and how awareness of these behaviors really is a huge part of the work. Often, we judge and berate ourselves for behaviors that seem truly out of our control, which only compounds the problem. When we can meet those behaviors with conscious awareness, true compassion, and understanding, we can begin to practice choosing differently. We bridge the gap between how we see ourselves and what we think is normal. When we become aware of where we end and where others begin, we can see a dim light in the distance and begin moving in that direction, out of the shadows of our empathic experience. We learn to embrace our sensitive nature, appreciating the gifts and the light that we have to share. It does take work, and it's not easy, but it is worth it. Something that really stood out to me was how much I resonated with Stephanie's story of suppressing her creative, right-brained feminine self and allowing her left-brained masculine energy to dominate. I did the same thing for much of my life to the point of abusing the feminine and practically worshipping the masculine part of me, thinking it was the only way to be safe. I've seen both male and female empaths and sensitives cope in exactly this way. I think it's largely a result of our collective tendency as a society to overvalue masculine qualities and undervalue feminine ones. But really, there's no value in imbalance of any kind. Nature's blueprint is balance, and we are part of that. We all have both masculine and feminine energies that we must learn to honor, embrace, and respect. Our outer world is a reflection of our inner world. And while I'm thrilled about the recent re-emerging of the divine feminine, I do think that we have to keep ourselves in check and not allow the swing of the pendulum to overcorrect. If we can heal the shadow side of both energies and balance them within ourselves, the world around us will have no choice but to reflect that beautiful balance back to us. Thank you for listening to Consciousness Explored. Consciousness Explored is part of the Miracy FM podcast network which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Just Between Coaches. A special thanks to our guest, Stephanie Redfeather, for generously sharing her time and perspective with us today. Be sure to check out her website, bluestartemple.org. That's B-L-U-E-S-T-A-R-T-E-M-P-L-E.org. And if you'd like to reach out to me, I'd love to hear from you. My contact information is in the show notes or just below on YouTube. To make sure you don't miss great episodes coming up on Consciousness Explored, please follow us on Miracy FM's YouTube channel or your favorite podcast player. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a comment or a starred review. Your feedback helps us to improve the show and reach more listeners like you. Thanks, and I look forward to more fascinating conversations as we continue to unravel the mysteries and nature of consciousness. Consciousness.